I'm Jonathan Polevsky, and it's my pleasure to interview Manuel Barruego for these podcasts. Tell me about your relationship with uh, Roberto Sierra. He's written at least two pieces that I know of for guitar and orchestra for you, and this is the upcoming uh, performance, uh, certainly a Baltimore premiere of his Danzas Concertantes. Tell me a bit about your relationship with him. Well, I've known him for for a while now. I, I can't remember exactly how many years. I remember that I met him in Milwaukee when he was the uh, composer in residence of the symphony over there. It's actually four works with guitar and orchestra. I mean, there are three solo ones, Folias and Concerto Barroco, and now these dances concertantes. But the very first one that I asked him to write was actually a concerto called Imagines or Images, was written for guitar, violin, and orchestra. So it was a double concerto for Frank Peter Zimmerman, the violinist, and myself. And I've also played other works uh, of his, like he has a yeah, quintet, uh, Triptico is the name, which is actually, you know, it's really one of the best quintets. That is for guitar and string quartet. The two pieces of Roberto Sierra's that I've heard you do are kind of pieces that have a nostalgic look at forms of the past, either Baroque music or the folias, which is uh, Renaissance and Baroque music. Does this draw on elements of uh, music uh, history, or is it uh, kind of a departure? No, it's different. The first concerto, the solo concerto that he wrote, I had read a book called Concierto Barroco, a Baroque concerto by a Cuban uh, writer named Alejo Carpentier. In a chapter, there is a jam session between a Cuban-African slave in uh, in Venice, I think it was, and uh, I forget which who were the composers. I think, I think it was Handel, Scarlatti, I, I don't know who, you know, this Baroque composer. There was a jam session, and the Cuban slave was playing, like, on uh, kitchen utensils and so on. So based on that, I said, Roberto, you know, why don't you, you know, how about writing something based on that? And from that came Concierto Barroco. And basically what, what that did was it was combining his own style of writing with Afro-Cuban or Afro-Caribbean elements and Baroque elements, and a lot of Baroque elements in it. In fact, the, the, he uses quotes, not necessarily from those composers, but he uses Corelli and Roberto Vizet, the Scarlatti also, there's a quote from, from Scarlatti. And I guess he liked it so much that he decided to write an accompanying piece, which is the, the Folias. And that uses pretty much the same thing, ex- except the Afro-Cuban element is, is out. I guess that's basically substituted with, with the Spanish element. Uh, anyway, I mean, he wanted to write a concerto, full-length concerto. The other two were only about 12, 13 minutes. And, and I asked him, you know, why don't you write dances? And this is what, what he came up with. And the second one is a bolero, the Caribbean-Cuban, you know, bolero. And the third movement is very closely related to, to a Venezuelan waltz, like a louder waltz. And then the other movements, there are still dances in, in, uh, in five, but they're more abstract. And the first one is uh, two threes, and the last one is three twos. So it's kind of a mirror thing going on there. So you have kind of a, an arch form, sort of first and third movements are sort of connected and you have kind of a, an interlude in the middle. Well, there are four movements. Oh, there are it's, four. The, it's the first and last that are connected and the two in the middle are actually based on actual folk or popular music. Is he a guitarist? No. The guitar is not an easy instrument to write for well. Right. It, and the bulk of the people who have written for it well have either been very close to players or have been players. And sometimes players don't write the best music for a guitar because they write for their hands, not for music. Right. So what was the score like when he gave it to you? And did you have to do much work to make it into something that really worked well? Well, he's written a lot for the guitar. Not only that, but as I said, the quintet, he has a number so of pieces. So he knows his stuff. 
Yeah, I mean, there were some things here and there, but very, very small. And then there's also a, a gray area with an instrument like the guitar that depending on the voicing and, you know, and how it lays on the fingerboard, it can sound differently. There were a couple of situations where I said, well, look, you should consider maybe doing it this way because of this. And I would play for him. This is the way it sounds. Do it this way or that way. And that's something that would be really impossible for anybody who doesn't really play the instrument to know. On the other hand, sometimes it's people that don't play the guitar that can come up with really unique ways to look at it. For example, like, like, like Takemitsu, who had, you know, had a particular vision of, of the instrument that was different from any other guitarist. Now, is this the premiere or this is not of, uh, of the uh, Danzas? This is going to be the American premiere, right? Mm -hmm. And have you rehearsed already with the orchestra? No. Uh -huh. We're going to rehearse tomorrow. How much time do you have with them before... Uh... Actually, this is pretty luxurious. I mean, we're, we're going to rehearse tomorrow and three days next week. So this is, this is nice. Yeah, for an hour each meeting piece. And you're going to record it? That's been talked about. As you know, I mean, the whole recording industry is like upside down. Right. So. You recorded the other two Sierra pieces right. originally with EMI in Europe, in Spain. Right. And then it ended up, strangely enough, as a Koch recording. Actually, the, the thing that is strange about it is that I am not aware of that happening before. For those people listening that don't understand how these things work, I mean, for example, with EMI, it used to be that they would have an international division, then they would have local divisions. So when we did the recording, it was done through EMI in, in Spain, and the EMI in the U.S. was not interested in releasing the recording. So when that happened, you know, we approached uh, Coach, and they were, uh, they were happy to do it. You told me uh, a little while ago that you're going to play the Aranuas in a few days, and yeah. you've, I just wonder about artists who play the same repertoire for, for their entire career, and you will play the Aranuas for yeah. your entire career. I'm wondering if your feelings about the piece have changed over years and if the way you interpret it has changed over years. Well, I hope it has. Mm -hmm. My basic feeling about the piece remains the same, but as I age, you know, my feelings change, and I'm sure that influences the way I play it. Do you like it? Are you friends? With the piece? Yes. I love the piece. Yeah, I think it's a fabulous piece. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a, and it's a very grateful piece also because it's something that you play and people love it. You know, the orchestra loves it. Everybody loves it. And one enjoys playing it. It's a nice thing to do, to, to, to play that piece. You know, I mean, it's a nice thing. Honest to God, I'm not tired of it. On, that, that's all I can tell you. I am not tired. I think, I think it's, honestly, I think it's such a pleasure when you sit there and, and you play that beautiful music. I don't know, it just, you begin to get into little, little things, like, like you take a move and you begin to, to arpeggiate the course. And if you can do it exactly at the time that the orchestra cuts off, and if they really come down, if they're listening to you, you know, more and more I think that ultimately it is about communication. And it could be argued that, that the music could almost be a vehicle for that. So there you're making music with these people and you're like rubbing each other's feelings, you know, and getting each other... You know, excited about the music, and and, I, <laughs> and uh, it's a nice thing, I think. You recorded with Domingo, yeah. right? Yeah. What was he like to work with as a conductor? He was he was all about making it work. And I think if you listen to to the recording, I swear, I think I hear him singing. I think the orchestra sounds like him in the way in which he phrases and everything. And, and his ego never got in the way. Egos can really be a horrible thing, isn't it? I mean, it can be such a destructive thing for so many of us. And with him, it was not there. You know, whatever needed to be done to, for something to work, that he would do. You know what I mean? If, mm -hmm. For example, if it was a difficulty somewhere, he would ask, whatever, what do we do here? What do you know? Let's do this. You know, the idea was to make the music sound 
the best as way possible. possible. Yeah. And nobody had been as thoughtful of me as he was. And he was so careful not to tire me out, you know. And it was really a pleasure. I was also in awe, really, to, to be working with him. I thought, um, you know, I would hear like trumpets, the doors swing open, a red carpet, <laughs> and here it comes in. And, you know, he just, he was there when I got there already. You know, he was working already. And in between, he was singing at Covent Garden, took us there to the opera, and, you know, and and that was a great experience. Then the, the, the second session took place in New York, and he had a restaurant. I don't know if he has it still, so it took all of us to go there. It was, it was a really nice feeling about it. Phenomenal man uh, in so many in so many ways. Maybe the greatest opera singer of our time, probably. Mm. I think uh, maybe the Could second be. half of this uh, last century. So you would welcome the opportunity to work with him again? I think it would be a great thing if, if it did happen, and I hope it will happen in the future.